Welcome to the United We Pledge podcast, a place where we explore the way we can work together in our communities to fulfill our mission of shared responsibility and allegiance to the traditional American values of freedom, family, and faith. This is the place where we accept our duty to be constitutional law-abiding citizens. You are invited to join us as we meet individuals who are fulfilling and pledging themselves and their resources to this mission. Each week, we will tell the great American story that will inspire you and the next generation to stand united and pledge allegiance to this great nation. We want to welcome you to the United We Pledge podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Rue, excited to be back to talk more about uniting our communities, uniting our families, uniting our freedoms and our faith and our country. That's what we do here on the United We Pledge podcast. Of course, part of our mission statement is all of those combined and making sure that we're passing on to our children the legacy of our American history. And today we have with us a really special guest. I'm excited to meet him. His name is Brent Ashworth. And Brent, I'm going to have you jump in here to help me introduce yourself because you have quite a bio as far as things that you know, things that you've studied and places that you've been. So Brent, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? Well, I'm an old time collector. I I grew up in Provo, Utah and uh, grew up with the community, I guess. I started uh, as a uh, an interested history collector, I guess you would say, back in the 1950s. So I've been actually collecting for 65 years this year, uh, since I was about age seven. Uh, and uh, it started with a group of letters that uh, were preserved from my uh, my grandmother. So I have her to partly blame for this interest, but she was a pack rat. I remember my wife saying that there's only room for a, in a family for one collector, and I think she'd like to revise that now. We have over a million items in our collection, so it's gotten a little out of hand, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I've had a legal career that's gone on for over 50 years, too, so been uh, both a prosecuting attorney and a, and a corporate attorney for several large corporations, and uh, I'm still in private practice, do a little bit here and there, and serve on several uh, historical boards uh, around, and uh, such as the uh, Colonial Flag Foundation. Uh, in Salt Lake and uh, the Hutchins Museum in Lehigh. I've served on a number of boards over the years. But my, uh, my real uh, passion uh, has to do with, uh, with collecting things. And like I say, uh, my grandmother, I partly blamed for this because she was a pack rat. And uh, I can still remember uh, my grandfather saying, you sure wish you could pull a car in the garage. But he didn't have the heart to go through her things after she passed away. I was only a year old when she died, but uh, I've got a couple pictures of her holding me. So... That's as close as I get that way. But I feel like I know her. Uh, so when my grandfather, Pop, died in 1956, the family just made a big bonfire out back, sort of throwing all of her things in. I remember my uncles uh, particularly weren't looking at anything. I was only seven at the time, but I remember a couple of things about that day. I remember uh, thinking, this is ridiculous. Nobody's looking at any of this stuff. Uh, I remember that. I remember my grandpa's uh, Pop, we called him, false teeth in the ashes of the fire. And it's funny what a seven-year-old remembers. And I remember two uh, uncles fighting over a pair of, of uh, brown socks. And uh, that's all I remember, except uh, I asked my mother later, did you guys save anything from Nana stuff? And she said, yeah, there was one box that was up in the rafters of our garage. She took me out to the garage. We went hunting for it, and we found the one box. And she didn't go through it. She says, no, it's probably just more junk, but if you want it, you can just have it. It was in that box that I found 22... Uh, 
well, actually 12 letters and a, another document of uh, Heber J. Grant, uh, who had been uh, president of the, of the LDS Church back between 1918 and 1945. And there were all letters written to my grandmother between the Depression years of 1931 and 33, when they were trying to decide whether to keep their son on a mission to Texas at the time. And uh, uh, my grandfather had a pretty good job. He wasn't, uh, never lost his job during the Depression, but he was cut back on his salary. He didn't think the family could afford 25 bucks a month, which was standard for a missionary in 1931. And he thought the boy ought to come home. It was a matter of pride. Uh, my uh, my grandmother was a convert to the church, and she didn't didn't agree with him. She started a correspondence with uh, President Grant, and he wrote back. Some of these letters are two and three pages long; they're single uh, space typed, and uh, probably by Bertha Ivins, uh, his uh, secretary at the time. And uh, they basically told her, "Keep your boy out on a mission." You know, uh, the earlier missionaries were without purser script uh, many times, and they'll be taken care of. Well, uh, Michael was still alive then, and I asked him, uh, he'd been a bishop down in, uh, in Las Vegas for 11 years, and I asked him, I says, hey, Uncle Bo, did, uh, were you ever out of money from, the, from your parents or grandparents? He says, yeah, there's about three months there. They couldn't afford to send me anything. I says, well, what was that like? He says, oh, it was the best part of my mission. We lived off the fat of the land. Uh, everybody in Texas took care of these poor, poor struggling boys from uh, mostly Utah and Idaho back then. Uh, and so we never missed a meal. Wow. Well, I thought that was interesting. And I thought I learned something about President Grant from reading those private letters. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could collect something personal of each of the presidents of the LDS Church? And that's what I started with. And I've completed about 15 sets since then. Uh, collectors got bored. There were other letters in the, <laughs> the box, including of Louise Y. Robison, which is probably not a name you're familiar with. But she was general president of the Relief Society at that time. And she became a personal friend with my grandmother. So a lot of these were personal letters. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could collect all of the, all the Relief Society presents? <laughs> There's another set. So I start on that from Emma Smith and Liza R. Snow and all of them. And that was fascinating. You learned something about each one of them. And when I got done with some of the church autographs, which I've never finished, I'm still collecting them. I thought, well, let's get into American history. And uh, my father had served uh, in the construction battalion, the Seabees, during World War II. And he told me uh, when they were at Iwo Jima, before the famous flag raising uh, photo was taken the day before, he was with some other CBs con constructing a road up Mount Suribachi. And uh, that's the only mountain on the, this three mile island. And they're getting shot at by the enemy who came out of caves and things and pop shoot at him in the back. Dad says, well, we went with our picks and shovels with our 45 and a holster getting shot at. Dad got shot in the foot that day, but it was just a graze, it wasn't bad. Some of the men got hurt and killed. The next day, he said the gyrenes go in. <laughs> he was always poking fun at the Marines because they were part of the Navy at the time. He said the gyrenes go in, they take our road, they take the hill, they find a pipe, they stick up the flag, and they steal the glory. And uh, that's the way he told me the story of the flag raising. And I thought, uh, you know, that's really fascinating. It got me really interested in American history. And then my mother was a cowgirl from uh, Cody, Wyoming. So I love the old West and I learned a lot of things about Buffalo Bill Cody and others from her. So uh, it was just natural that I get into American history. And so I started collecting the presidents. I didn't really go after all the US presidents because a lot of them I don't care for. <laughs> so I collect the ones that I like, okay? And I collect the founding fathers and the founding mothers of the country. 
and some of the fun things I've got, uh, for instance, Martha Washington. I've got letters of George. And you know, it's interesting to me that of the famous men and women in history, the women are always about eight or 10 times rarer in handwriting than the men. And I've wondered about that, whether it's Napoleon and Josephine or Joseph and Emma or, uh, you know, uh, George and Martha or whoever, uh, the women are a lot scarcer. Usually they outlive the men. <laughs> and so I've, I've wondered about that. Uh, my theory is, is that uh, who collects this stuff anyway? It's uh, usually the women have it because they outlive their husbands or the men in their lives. And uh, do you think they want anybody reading their mail when they're gone? Uh, they don't care if you read their husbands. That's my theory. Uh, that's your theory. You're sticking to it. I don't want to sound sexist in any way, but that's my theory. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, uh, my mother would have not allowed anybody to read her private correspondence, but it's okay with uh, reading my dad's. So, uh, you know, that's my theory. Anyway, uh, I've collected that way throughout time. And uh, like, for instance, Martha Washington, I've got a letter of hers. She's quite rare. Um, and I've got it on my wall because it is so rare. I can look at it here in my, uh, my office. I've got a letter of her husband, George, on the wall too, but he's more plentiful. And there's more uh, George Washington letters around. I've got about five in my collection and they're all significant. I brought one today that I thought might be neat. This is a handwritten letter of George Washington. I don't know if you can see his, his yeah. fancy Washington signature on the bottom here, wow. but it's all handwritten during the uh, Revolutionary War. And it's a letter to uh, Robert Morris, who was the um, financier of the revolution, the one that provided the money and the means, and so on. Earlier the day this letter was written on June 20th, 1780, uh, he'd written another letter to Morris and he says, can you send me some shirts? Some of my men don't have shirts, okay? And so in this letter, the same day, he puts, in a struggle like ours, perplexed with embarrassments, and I'm sure asking for shirts was among them, if it should be my fortune to conduct the military helm in such a manner as to merit the approbation of good men and my suffering fellow citizens, it will be the primary happiness of my life because it is the first and great object of my wishes. Isn't that so well put? Wow. <laughs> he was a very educated man. In fact, our first, uh, first few presidents, until you get down to Andrew Jackson, who was really the first of the common men presidents, uh, we're really from the upper class, if you want to call them that, our founding fathers, and their, their wives were from that class too, generally. Uh, and uh, some of them died young, like uh, uh, Jefferson's wife and so on, but some, like Martha, uh, went along. I don't know how many of you realize that uh, Martha Washington, you know, basically served in the war too. Uh, she followed along in a tent, uh, which Washington had built, which still survives. The tent's in the Smithsonian, if you want to see it, or you can see it online. Uh, but uh, he, he had a very elaborate tent made for the two of them so that when he's at a battle, uh, his wife could be with him. So she didn't spend a lot of time at Mount Vernon, you know, uh, sewing rugs or something. She was with her husband supporting him. Really were the parents of our country in so many ways. Uh, Martha's role doesn't get as emphasized as much as her husband's, but in our collection, we've got a little, what's called a half deem, a little silver coin. It's the first United States silver coin. Wow. And uh, there's only about 200 of them known. They supposedly minted about 1,000 to 1,500, but they were basically worn out and didn't uh, survive. But we have one of those. And the picture of the original Miss Liberty looks a lot like Martha Washington. And a lot of people have suggested that's Martha's mug on there. And the reason being, uh, and incidentally, the little bird on the back looks more like a sparrow than an eagle. Uh, but we were a tiny country there. Anyway, uh, the thing is dated in 1792. 
and it was the first silver coin minted by the United States of America. Um, and uh, the country didn't have any silver. <laughs> you know, the Constitution said that, that the states are not going to be coining money anymore. It's going to be done by the federal government. That's great, except uh, they had no they had no metals, you know, at the time, uh, and they could they could mint they could print paper money, but you know what's that worth? Uh, so a lot of people were questioning it, but uh, so the uh, the story is that uh, Jefferson and Hamilton came to Martha and I asked if because uh, she had the nicest silver set silver service uh, they knew of if they could uh, use her silver service to mint our first coins, and uh, she supposedly allowed them to do that. So they melted her silver service down and they minted maybe 1,500 of these little half deems. And George Washington mentioned it in his first address to Congress. He says, we made a, we made a small start on the coinage. Well, they used, they used his wife's uh, silver service to do it. So a lot of people suggested it's Martha's mug on the, as Lady Liberty on that with a sparrow looking eagle on the back and a, a very abbreviated, you know, it says lib, Liberty. Uh, parent, P-A-R, period, of science, S-C-I, and industry, I-N-D. That all had to be put on the back of that little coin. But you could see that they were celebrating freedom right at the beginning of our country. And uh, Martha had just as big a role in many ways as uh, did George, her husband. Well, and, and that's true of Ab Abigail and the others, too. Well, and Brent, I, you know, I, I love all these stories. You have so many stories to tell. And you know, it makes me think with all of these things that you've been able, these treasures that you found and the way that you're able to preserve these, these stories come through that can teach us so much about these founding fathers and so much about where we came from. And, you know, is that where your passion comes from for collecting is being able to tell these stories? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the items can be cold, they can be in a file, they can be useless until they come to life. And, uh, and you can bring them to life uh, because uh, the histories are so fascinating, I mean, of, of all these people. Uh, one other little example here is, uh, is this uh, young uh, ex-congressman, he'd only won one election. In 1859, he's, uh, he's traveling outside his state to uh, Kansas to, to get the advice of a, of a friend. Uh, Mark DeLahey was a friend's name. And while he was there, uh, he, he wanted to know, he'd lost a Senate race uh, a couple of years before, and uh, pretty badly, actually. And uh, the little giant, uh, Stephen uh, Douglas, beat him uh, even after some, some important debates. And uh, so he ended up in uh, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, asking for advice on whether he should throw his hat in the ring for the election coming up in a year in 1860. While he was there, Delahey's young young daughter, uh, Mary, came up to him and asked if he would just take a minute. He wasn't real famous then, but if you take a minute to write in my journal. So we have that journal entry here, and this is it. Dear Mary, with pleasure, I write my name in your album. Ere long, some younger man will be more than happy to confer his, quote, underlined, name upon you, underlined. Don't allow it, Mary, until fully assured that he's worthy of the happiness. December 7th, 1859, your friend, A. Lincoln. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Many and years and later, she had General Grant sign the same page over here on the side. Wow. Uh, it was just a little girl that decided she wanted to preserve Mr. Lincoln's handwriting, and he wrote that uh, little ditty for her. But it tells us something. I think whenever 
a great person takes time with a child, uh, you know, such as writing a letter. I have a letter of Ulysses Grant writing to, written during the height of the end of the Civil War. And it's on uh, headquarters armies of the United States stationary. And he's writing a, a young boy who had been invited by uh, her teacher to write a letter to the great general and see if he could stop by and see their school in New York. Well, obviously he couldn't do it. He's at City Point, uh, their headquarters at the time in Virginia. And he, he writes back and he says, I tell your teacher, I'm sorry I can't stop by, but uh, give my best regards to your mom and pa and everybody else there. And uh, he signed it, you know, U.S. Grant. Right. Well, again, when uh, a great individual takes time to, uh, to write a child, uh, it, it means a lot. It tells me something about their, their character because especially in times of stress and busyness, you can see some of our founders, uh, for instance, taking the time out to uh, write what their beliefs are, what they, what they think. We've got a, a wonderful John Adams letter where uh, he's writing um, uh, a fellow signer from uh, Philadelphia of the Declaration of Independence. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's uh, uh, in the letter, he's talking about his religious beliefs. You know, he's been accused of not being a Christian and he's responding to it. And he says, I don't care if you call me this, that, or the other. He says, if there are Christians, I wish to be counted among them all. <laughs> then he goes on to define what it means to be a Christian. I mean, for people to say our founding fathers were Christians, they just got to read their letters. <laughs> well, and Brent, you, you bring up such a good point. Is the effect of these items that you found in this context that you're able to give to the history? I mean, that context is so important because it, you know, we look back sometimes with such a different vision on it, but when we can actually see these documents that you're preserving and that you're finding, we know so much more about this history. How do you feel, you know, looking back at these items that you found about the American Republic and where it started and where we are today? Like, help me, help me bridge that gap. Well, well, I love America. I mean, I think uh, most Americans do, if you were to ask them. I love America. I love what it stands for. I love what uh, our forefathers and our foremothers and all of the others have sacrificed to get us the freedoms that we have. Freedom is pretty precious. We had a we had a Kiwanis meeting. I'm in the Kiwanis Club recently, where we did a Zoom meeting with the Kiev Kiwanis Club, and uh, I'll tell you, we got uh, a member of the club that was, uh, you know, we, we got the uh, air raid alarm came on. And he was telling us about all the people killed in his, uh, in his uh, apartment house. And he said, and his wife was in Switzerland. We got her on too. And her, her daughter and their granddaughter. Uh, and she was very worried about him. But he says, no, nah, we're staying here. We're fighting for our liberty, our freedom. I mean, that's the only time I've been connected to a live war zone. And that was just two weeks ago. And I thought, isn't this amazing what people are willing to give up, uh, even their lives, to protect their freedoms? And, uh, you know, uh, that's going on every generation. What is it Jefferson said? The tree of liberty needs to be watered from time to time with the blood of tyrants and patriots. Uh, well, unfortunately, that's the case even today. Anyway, the point is there are some, some good people in the world that are fighting like we are for, for our liberty. I love America, but I wonder how many of us, because we take it so much for granted, are willing to put our lives on the lanes, even like our fathers or our grandfathers or great-grandfathers and mothers, uh, in each case, would have done, you know? And many of them didn't come home. Uh, there, there have been many lives and continue to be among our military and others that are given uh, to uh, protect the freedom that we 
that we take so lightly sometimes. Uh, I don't know if that helps answer the question, but I think it's just obvious that uh, there's more that needs to be taught to our youth and to others. Uh, you know, I, I was raised uh, when we were still teaching American history pretty heavily in the schools. I'd like to think there are some good teachers around that are still doing that. I'm sure there are. It's so easy to find the warts on people because we all have them. But when you see the greatness uh, that uh, what can come of people that have a great cause, such as uh, preserving their freedom or winning their freedom uh, and uh, setting up a free nation like we have, uh, to me, it's just very inspirational. I think we all have a duty, those of us that have caught the spirit of it, to, uh, to use whatever means we have to teach our young people and, uh, and our fellow citizens what it means to be an American today. Uh, this is a tough time in a lot of ways. And uh, I think a lot of the, the leadership that we used to have in our country, we may be lacking right now. Um, that's my impression. Although I think we still have good leaders, but they're, they're hard to find sometimes. And they, they get drowned out by the media, which is too bad. Brent, what is one of the, you know, if you could point to something that you found or something that you've been privy to that has really inspired you about our nation, what would that be? Well, there are just there are lots of things. Uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, items. Um, I've got a, a book that was done several years ago about our my life and collecting, and it's got a few examples of some favorite things in there. Um, one of them is a uh, is a letter written in response to uh, to his chaplain at the end of the uh, the fighting of the Revolutionary War by George Washington, and. Uh, Dr. John Rogers had written him because they gotten word that Fat George, our king, had relented. Okay, he wasn't going to hire any more Germans to come fight us. We'd actually won our independence. <laughs> you know, there was uh, great jubilation and hallelujahs across the nation. And, and this, uh, uh, this particular uh, chaplain wrote to Washington, who was still in camp. And, uh, and he said, your name's going to now not be known throughout all our history. You know, they're going to be naming streets and towns and villages and uh, uh, territories and states and even their children after you, which has all happened, right? <laughs> and how did Washington respond? He says, I'm thankful for your congratulations on the happy event of peace with the establishment of our liberties and independence. But in the midst of our joys, I hope we shall not forget that to divine providence is to be ascribed the glory and the praise. Here was a man who could have taken a bow in a private letter, but he knew exactly from whence our liberty came, you know? And I think that's why we, why we want our independence. What a beautiful sentiment from him. And that shows so much about his character. I mean, that really speaks to his character. And your book that you have is Show and Tell, A Unique Journey Through History from the Life of Brent Ashworth. So if you're interested in seeing some of these interesting treasures, you can check out Brent's book. And Brent, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to ask you one question. On our United We Pledge podcast, we always like to put out a challenge to all of our listeners to pledge something of themselves to help unite their communities, to help unite our our country, wherever your imprint can be to do that. What is it that you pledge to the United States that you can do in Brent Ashworth's life to continue this mission like United We Pledge has to unite under our freedom, our family, and our faith? 
Well, I look at I look at what I've collected as a as a bit of a library and education, okay? And it needs to be somewhere where people can can you utilize it and so on. We do exhibits all the time. Um, in fact, uh, I would have loved to have been down there over the fourth with you guys, but we have a prior commitment up here that we've done for the past thirty five years. Uh, and this year we're at the Sierra and Orem, where we put on a three day exhibit, and there'll be several hundred items from American history there. I love taking people through, especially the, the younger people that are excited there and all oh, that really signed by Thomas Jefferson or whatever, you know, or Ben Franklin. Uh, to answer your question, I just feel like we're gonna do whatever we can to, uh, to share the collection in any way we can. And some of the, some of the great thoughts of these people that, uh, that helped win our independence and to keep it uh, in the liberty that we enjoy. Yeah, Brent, that, that really hits home. We need to remember that, that these these things are so important to us as we move forward. And if we're a parent, if we have any influence, we need to share this and we need to make sure that our future generations understand what what went forward in order for them to live where they live today. And that's that's an amazing message. Brent, thank you so much for coming on our United We Pledge podcast. Oh, thank you. And, thank you. you know, we hope to see your collection. Where is your collection going to be? You know, where is it going to be soon? Well, we've got several places that we're, we're exhibiting. We exhibit all the time. We did one a couple of weeks ago up in Ogden for the 25th Street Museum. <laughs> and uh, they asked me to bring an Al Capone up there because I guess Al Capone actually played Pinochle there in one of the places. They said that he took a train ride through there one time in, in Ogden and says, 25th Street. He says, that's too dangerous for me. <laughs> and they still quote that from Al Capone. Well, uh, you know, there's history everywhere and Utah has so much of it here. We have so much of it here and a lot of us are not aware of the stories. So trying to make the uh, stories um, more interesting and available, I think is a, is a goal. You know? Yeah, for sure. Well, when we, whenever we have an opportunity, we definitely need to soak it up. Well, Thank you so much, Brent, for being here and taking your time. And hopefully we get to meet you in person and get you down here to St. George. With... Get down here. Yeah, it. that would be great. All right, Brent. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Take care. If you'd like to see Brent's collection, go to B. Ashworth Storefront in Provo, Utah, or call them at 801-368-6001 and you can schedule an appointment. Thank you for listening to the United We Pledge podcast. It's brought to you by Balance of Nature. This show would not be possible without support from Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature provides its customers with access to a variety of 31 different fruits and vegetables in easy to take capsules. If you'd like to join us in inspiring freedom, faith, and family here in America, go to unitedwepledge.org. And don't forget to follow us on social media.